everyone, and welcome to the Off the Hinges podcast. This is episode seven, and we are proud to have some special guests with us today. We have two of my homies, Sean and Tim. Uh, Brandon cannot make this episode, so they were nice enough to step in and fill in. Today, we are talking artificial intelligence, good old AI. Uh, we've all seen it. We've all know that sooner or later, all the fast food workers are going to be replaced by mechanical arms, things that don't call off from work, things that don't cost that much money to continue to run, and things that don't fuck up your order. So how long before the lower to middle class is replaced with robots, how long before we need some sort of universal wealth in order to take care of everybody? That's what we're talking here today. So let me get you guys' opinion on artificial intelligence. Do you think it's coming? Where do you think it's headed? That's an interesting point. I think probably within the next 10 years or so, a lot of jobs in the fast food industry are going to be completely gone. You don't need a person to make a burger. They're going to develop a machine to make it. It's not very complicated. It's not rocket science. So as we see in America, there's a lot of specialization jobs and a lot of low income jobs. So with that automation, it's going to get rid of the lower class. Essentially, the poor are going to be poor. AI, obviously it's coming. It's the way that everything's going. You know, I think it's a complex thing, but, you know, in, in regards to, you know, fast food and a lot of uh, kind of service industries, yeah, I think a lot of it's going to be automated, especially now with COVID and the push towards like online shopping, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a much more recent reality that we're dealing with suddenly, you know, versus something that, you know, we always knew the robots were coming, but like now there's like more incentive for it to happen. Yeah, I think the big question, you know, is what you do with the people because we know that these advances are coming. So the question now is what do we do with the people who are going to be displaced? And I think, you know, and that's a that's a big question, but uh, I think it's an important one. Essentially, you're pushing the lower class, lower and lower, because now they're going to, how many people lost jobs when the U.S. assembly line modernize you know your forge to where now it's done assembly line style they're not built by hand anymore how many people lost their jobs in michigan look at what happened in detroit right it's a fucking wasteland right all because that industry fell through right so you get to see that think about how many people you know are in the fast food industry even going to the mall you know all the food courts every fast food there's fast food almost on every corner what are you going to do when all those people lose their job not only that, but who's going to take care of those people? Is it going to be the government's responsibility? I mean, that's a question of what kind of government you prefer. I guess the question, I, either way, it's not really, I guess it really doesn't even matter in terms of the government, but it's like, can the economy provide jobs for these displaced people? You know, I think, I guess, regardless of political alignment, you know, I mean, if, and if it can then great, but I think they're going to need a big hand because I think they've been struggling exactly as you said, since like the collapse of the industrial American and industry since the collapse from the seventies and now till today where it's just kind of struggling to survive, but it doesn't really have a future, you know, that's trickled down and right. And I mean, the entire malls, like the entire service economy that we have now is fueled right by, I guess the lower class, if you will. But, um, 
But, you know, even a lot of like middle class jobs too, you know, uh, the wages and salaries have been pushed down because of the massive labor. And the shifts of it too, you know, you have people kind of like, you know, respecking and rejobbing into different things um, because they have to, you know, because the economy demands it. But every single McDonald's within five years is replaced by robots. That's going to be a huge influx of people. And I don't think there's a market, I can't see one that all of a sudden pops up to accommodate all those people. Right. So even, I think you do need government intervention. Even if you look at it like other jobs, like for example, the repossession industry, you have now cars driving themselves. So what's going to happen when you don't make your payment? Your car is going to know that you just shut it off and walked inside. It's going to start itself up. It's going to drive right back to the dealership. There's no longer, you know, that industry has gone. Right. So where are all these people going to go? Any idea? I, I don't. And I think the government's not going to help them. And the reason is because the government hasn't been helping the people. It's more rich people getting richer and richer. Look at Amazon. They automate everything. They now have their own shipping service. You could buy anything off Amazon. They bought Whole Foods. You could get food delivered to you. There's like no reason to have like actual people. Yeah, I know Amazon employs a lot of people, but that's just one example of a company automating everything with artificial intelligence. But the problem is a company like Amazon isn't sustainable unless there's people to buy all of the things. Amazon needs, I think, the low classes as much as it needs every other, the middle and, you know, the upper class, because like the buying power in numbers is there in the lower class. And you know, they're ordering stuff off Amazon. What do you do when all the people that are supporting your business lose their jobs? Well, right, I mean, they need money to buy stuff. And, you know, if they don't have money, they can't. So you, do you look at an extra tax on your wages? Would you say maybe of the, I, I mean, I really don't want to branch the communism here. Okay. But what I'm saying is, is do you look at taxing the people that make more, you know, than $500,000 a year, or I don't know how low you want to go. Do you look at doing that in order to, to provide these people with money because all the jobs are gone. And that's a valid point. I, mean, I don't think you need to tax the American people. I think who you need to tax are the American corporations. And uh, I mean, American tax reform, especially on the corporate side, has needed an overhaul for years. I mean, you look at them offshoring. I mean, even within our own country, within Delaware, how many you know companies are licensed and headquarters in Delaware just because they can skate by without that tax. But then even on a, on a larger, on a global scale, where, I mean, we have offshore accounts, we have the Panama files, you know, we have all of these things that happen and all this evidence that clearly every single big company in the world, I mean, Donald Trump was even quoted saying, you know, he's like, of course, you know, you avoid paying taxes. That's what smart businesses do. And I feel like, hey, it's like, it's time to let businesses be smart, but they have to pay their share. And that's where you make it up. I mean, Jeff Bezos is making all this money. Amazon's making all this money and they're avoiding paying all these taxes, taxes that would support the very people. I mean, even the structure we have in place, they'd pay so much more. Our infrastructure would already be better. So yes, you tax corporations, uh, and, and, but most importantly, you have the oversight and follow through to make sure that the, the law is being enforced. I agree with Tim in that aspect, but I also think we do need to tax individuals at a higher rate. I would consider myself middle class. Donald Trump obviously is a billionaire, but if his the news is right and he only paid like $750 in taxes, 
there's obviously something wrong with our system where billionaires aren't paying their portion of taxes. Would you not agree? The question is, is should you make a commission that's in charge of making sure that everyone in each corporation follow dues on it? Right. Number one, that, that would employ a small amount of people, but technically it would employ people in each state, in each big city. So would you put together a commission to make sure that there's follow through? But then at the same time, do you have the same things you have right now with corporate corruption? That where Jeff Bezos is making so much amount of money that he goes up to them and says, hey, how about I just give you guys $100,000 on the table and, you know, I keep the rest of this money. I don't necessarily think anybody is doing anything illegal. I think we need tax reform because right now it's set up to benefit the, the very wealthy in terms of a person and corporations. Like there's too many loopholes. So I, I feel like if you had real tax reform, it would close those loopholes. We'd get more money and then maybe have universal basic income for each person in the United States. Not a lot of money, just something to help sustain the lower class. You know, and I, and I agree there with Sean that we do need tax reform. And, you know, to, to go back to your point, Mark, as well, where this isn't necessarily a, a like a job creating opportunity. And yes, I mean, there'd be task force and, and, and you know, we'd have to find a way to manage that, uh, you know, government bureaucratic oversight, which plagues government. I mean, it's inherent within the system itself. But I think to find the, you know, to find the, the, the solution, I think it's A, it's at a federal level federal to these to these corporations i mean you can put you know 25 top corporations on the list and if all they they all pay their fair share of taxes i mean we'd see a, a sizable amount of income but the income and i could see a universal basic income working i like it now as, as a safety net during covid and crisis like now more than uh you know all these times that you know i think everybody could use a little hand and you know donald trump now holding the uh you know any federal stimulus hostage until the next election you know i think that's i mean that's just very unpresidential you know it's very well the question with that is you know we're looking where we're giving each individual a mass amount of mass amount of money you know per se per month and i can tell you this from someone you know who lives in Pennsylvania that has employees working for him, there's no incentive to come back to work at that current plant because they're making more money per week than they would be if they were actually getting up and busting their ass every day or well, and, coming in and doing a mediocre job. Uh, you know, no, no, and I absolutely agree with you. And you know, and that's where I disagreed with Sean because uh, you know his points about universal basic income, um, yes, are somewhat countered by what you just said there because. Uh, I, I think it's inappropriate, though, to ultimately just throw money to individual citizens and, and believe that that's going to solve the problem because the reform, I think, has to happen on a larger scale. But I believe, you know, in times of crisis, like we've seen here, I mean, you know, a $600 allowance, you know, a, a month to what it boils down to. But I do believe providing like short-time stimulus to individual citizens, especially in times of need or national crisis, I don't think that that's irresponsible. And if anything, it's, you know, it's, it's something that every citizen can enjoy and at least appreciate. But I don't think that that's a continuous thing. I believe it's, it's, you know, diverting those funds towards providing, uh, you know, better job creating resources because and to address the new economy, you know, and that's the problem with the collapse of the service sector. We're yet to see some follow throughs, the big picture when it comes to this, because here we are throwing out a massive amount of money, of which, how are we going to make that money back? 
Okay, so what they're doing is they're dumping all this money, just printing it, printing it, printing it, dumping into the economy. Eventually, you're going to have inflation happening because all of these businesses are going to come back online. And when they come back online, they got to recoup for their losses. So now, all of a sudden, instead of you know, charging $2 for a loaf of bread, you're now charging 6 But wages aren't going to go up. They're just trying to recoup for their losses because someone's going to end up ultimately having to pay for you know Pennsylvania was it twenty four hundred dollars a month from if you got laid off someone's gonna have to pay for that who's gonna pay for it if it's the government sure they printed off money it's all going into their debt but it's gonna cause inflation to happen even right now people can't live off a minimum wage you know I think that not one person in America a single person living on minimum wage can afford to make their apartment and the rest of their bills for that month. So who's going to end up paying for this? It's going to be us, right? What are they going to do? Or our future generations are going to be paying for it. Typical Americans passing the bill to the next generation. <laughs> yeah, but the idea is to build a better world for the next generation. And and obviously, I guess really the, the question here, are we talking a basic income world or, or not? Because I wasn't making an argument for a basic income world. I was just saying the government, in times of need, is allowed to give its citizens like some fucking bucks. You know, I think giving everybody a one-time payment isn't, isn't going to create this crazy amount of inflation. It's just going to create spurts of buying. And I think giving, yeah, giving people one-time payments, honestly, in times of like national crisis or like economic crisis, especially, like providing stimulus to people to spend money. I don't think it's going to cause rampant inflation as long as it's measured and calculated. And I think therein lies your problem with universal basic income, because exactly to your point, you just create this extra stream of revenue where now everybody has this money and some people save it, some people spend it, but prices, and I don't think they're going to like skyrocket, but prices will go up and it will create, I mean, it'll balance out, you know, the, the invisible hand. Question. Yeah, sure. Here's an idea. So you have money being produced by, for lack of a better term, for these robots, okay? Since these robots are now bringing in money, they're bringing it in because there's less waste, so it's more money. They're faster, so it's more money. So do you, in turn, pay a percentage of the money that you bring in as a company, do you pay that to help pay for the people that got laid off? Because you're going to be making more money because it's going to be less waste and it's going to be more efficient. So do you put all that together into a little fund where you say, hey, out of all your business you do today, 10% or 5% or, you know, if you rack all these companies together, you say 5% of every surplus that you have is going to go into this, this fund to help pay for people who can't afford to, to, to live now. I don't think companies would do that. You don't because you make them. Why can't you just tax those same companies? So Andrew Yang proposed universal basic income of $1,000 without increasing the government debt. And he said it's possible if tech companies and other companies that are not paying taxes actually pay their taxes. So I think if we have all these people being laid off and everybody had a universal basic income of $1,000, it's not enough for you to live on but at least it's enough for you to find another job until you 
but how do you counter the inflation, Sean? I think that's been no. a, a pivotal point in this discussion here. Well, it's it's from the taxes collected off the corporations. It's not the government printing money. Uh, right, you know, and uh, and now that you've reclarified that, uh, yeah, no, that it, that actually is a a pretty solid point. And you know, and I think the I don't know how because I'm not a mathematician, uh, but I could probably find some mathematicians. But I think uh, creating. I think it's, it's, I don't know, it'd be some sort of calculation of the, the income that the company generates versus the workforce that's automated. And I guess it's hard to, I mean, I guess you can calculate like general man hours, but no. So I disagree with you, Sean. I think another solution to the problem, and I, I know taxes isn't the answer for everything, but if they legalize certain things like marijuana and the states were able to tax it, they would have more revenue for um, the streets, for policing and better neighborhoods rather than everything just falling apart in America, which would lead ultimately that people would have to pay less personal tax from their payroll if we're able to tax certain items such as like marijuana or other illegal drugs if you wanted to go that far i'm not saying i agree with that but let's at least start with marijuana i don't think you can go anything past marijuana do you ann armor michigan recently decriminalized uh magic mushrooms i believe colorado did as well so i mean it's already happening in the states how do you feel about this you don't think that that poses some kind of, of safety concern how many times have you heard people do mushrooms and trip off, you know, be tripping off balls and think that the water that they're swimming in is trying to kill them. Uh, I mean, I feel like, like all drugs, uh, you know, all drugs, I mean, to the, to the most extreme, to the most basic, I think it's all about control circumstance and the situation and any, I mean, even alcohol, which is legal. I mean, if you're very drunk and you're in a lake, you know, some crazy shit can happen. People drown, but, um, Yes, but can you get too high? I mean, I'm not a medical scientist, but here's what I can (laughs) say. I've done several trials in in marijuana, and I can conclude from, again, for science, that I have not gotten too high. Well, I think if you get too high for marijuana, you're probably just going to eat a bunch of food and probably sleep. I don't really think... So you're going to make a stretch that marijuana is going to lead to early diabetes? I think it's a stretch because I think all things in moderation, as our Buddhist friends would like to say, and I think that's true of all things. I mean, we've already, I mean, and I don't want to go back to alcohol, but I think alcohol is the most important thing because it's a scheduled drug, but it's legal, you know, where we're able to, you know, we're able to use it, we're able to consume it, and yet, you know, terrible things happen when you do, but I think, the, I think a big part of it, and we've seen this with cannabis over the years, is just the progression of laws and understanding and the change in cultural appreciation. Because, you know, we talk about, you know, Colorado and Ann Arbor decriminalizing mushrooms and, you know, and it's, oh, it's crazy, they're going wild. But every step of the way, every time anything tries to get legalized or more accepted, it's fought. I mean, that's, that's if you want an American thing, it's fighting change. And yet change pushes through. 
so you know i feel like the, the fact that we're we're at this point where we can decriminalize magic mushrooms i'd like to believe as a citizen it's because we've had this judicious process of fighting back and forth between people saying no but then the supporters providing hard facts and like good insight into why it should be legal and you know and i think they're both sides probably have science to back it up but i think you know as we learn more and more, we find that it's less harmful than it's been perceived to be. So the question is, is how far can you go? Do you think that heroin done in a moderate dose is great for legal use and you should absolutely approve it to be legal? It's a slippery slope. How many times have you heard of somebody doing magic mushrooms and doing something crazy? In your personal life, have you ever heard of anybody? Yes. That's what, yeah, that's why I'm bringing this, that's why I'm saying this stuff, because I really have. What did they do? That's where I got the story from, where the guy went swimming and he thought that the water was killing him. Another guy that I worked with you know, way back in the day, uh, he told me that he got extreme paranoia and thought that he was going to die the entire time, which made him act very weird. So how far is too far? So to me, and you know, and to me, that just sounds like an unsafe situation, poorly controlled with the use of drugs. I mean, you know, when people buy alcohol, there are laws, A, the first restrict the age, you know, we wait till people reach a certain maturity. But then on top of that, too, there are laws to enforce how we behave with the substance. You can't drive. I mean, there's legal limits. You can't operate construction machinery. I mean, we understand and this is what happens over time. I mean, we had a prohibition law. We banned alcohol. Everybody was like, all right, that's a little too far. And then we've brought it back. And key word of a lot of things that have been said, reforming it over the years. And, you know, we've built a system now, which is still imperfect. I mean, people drive drunk, things happen. But there are steps and measures in place to moderate and control its use. And it's been effective so far. So the question is, why couldn't we do that with weed? And yes, magic mushrooms, this kid's in the lake, you know, the lake's attacking him. But, but you know, he's, but, but it, was, it was just a poorly handled situation. You know, had he been properly informed and, you know, in a better situation, I think he could have made better choices. I get what you're saying. It's all fine in a controlled environment. If you're drinking, you're at the bar. If you're smoking, you're safe at home or, or with your friends watching the game and, and no big deal, right? So I'm, I'm fine with that. Maybe he was in the wrong, possibly in the wrong situation to be doing mushrooms. Now you put yourself in that situation to freak out, right? But is there a certain point to where, name a situation where it's okay to do some blow. What controlled environment is okay for heroin to putting a needle in your arm? I mean, I know they have them in other countries where you can go to places, you know, obviously it's still legal, but you can go to places to get like clean syringes and a safe place to do it to where you're not, you know, getting affected. Is that the, is that the circumstance that's okay? I mean, those are, so those are recovery programs, you know, and I'm glad you brought those up because they're definitely worth noting. And I feel like that's, and that's, I think, what we have to discuss when we get to the more extreme scale. Because, yeah, psychedelics are typically are, are yeah, they're more a hallucinogenic personal experience. Whereas 
you know, harder drugs like cocaine and, you know, I mean, heroin, obviously. Well, cocaine's just so dang addictive. That's, I think, you know, that's the important part. Um, I think it's, I think it's the addictiveness of these drugs, you know, uh, psychedelics like mushrooms and uh, LSD, they're not, I mean, they don't really create physical or mental dependencies, um, you know, and it's been shown to help people in recovery, whereas like cocaine, you know, just helps people feel like really, really good and like make poor decisions and talk really loudly. And so I think, you know, the context in which it's being used is important, but I, yeah, uh, you know, I think in recovery, I think it should be legalized. I just wanted to add on that. I think the line should be drawn at cocaine and heroin because I know psychedelics could be intense and I'm sure there are some bad stories of people doing some ridiculous things that harm themselves or harm other people. But studies have shown that mushrooms, especially microdosing, has actually helped with people with depression. So, and they're still able to function like a normal person if they microdose mushrooms. Explain to the people who don't know what microdosing is. Microdose is taking a very small amount of mushrooms each day. And apparently it helps with their mood and their clarity of their mind without actually hallucinating. So the question I have is, is Tim, you just brought up that there's certain drugs, I believe you said LSD, that, can, that, that don't have a addictive quality. I mean, and they, they use those to get people that are on drugs that have an addictive quality. They use those to get them off. Uh, no, no, that's that's not what I was saying. Uh, two separate points. Uh, oh, my mistake. Uh, my mistake. Uh, no, it's okay. LSD and mushrooms uh, have been shown not to to be particularly physically or chemically dependent. Um, you know, obviously, you know, it varies from person to person in their relationship with any kind of substance. Um, you know, mind-altering substance, especially, but, um, you know, whereas you look at, like, cocaine and heroin, and, you know, especially, like, tobacco, um, you know, they, they cause physical dependencies, and I think a physical dependence is very, is, should be treated differently than mental, but is a much more serious concern for the legalization of anything, you know, and anything, I think, that you consume, and then almost against your will, forced to kind of, you know, repeatedly consume it, um, you know, I think that's dangerous. I think that's where the scale kind of gets tipped, whereas things used in controlled environments, um, you know, open a lot of possibilities. All right, so whether we're talking about, you know, drugs or artificial intelligence, it's important here that the message that we do get across to you is that it's important for you to make up your own mind. Like, yes, we do not agree on everything that we're talking about today. We don't have the same viewpoints. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But it's up to you to take all of this information and make your own decision on how you want to live your life and apply it forward. We believe in you. Go ahead and make your own decision on, on how you want to handle it. Okay, so now to get back to the conversation that we're having on artificial intelligence, Sean has brought up a very astute question you'd like to ask again. Yeah. Do you think at a certain point artificial intelligence will be so smart and be able to think on their own that they'll decide that we're like a parasite and want to kill all humans, essentially. So I, my answer to that is, I assume that they would have to put, you know, a block in the root code. If that, you know, once they get AI that far, they're gonna have to put a block in the root code to not allow them to hurt humans, right? But 
some would say maybe it's a good idea for the military to be using them because now you, you see them using with with uh, you know bomb detectors that that ride through and snip out bombs before they get there do you use those do you give those androids or do you give them the power to kill so wars are no longer waged with the casualty of human life I think that's where we're headed. I mean, right now they use drones with a remote control. So I think it's just one step to build a robot to fight our wars for us. But how would you decide which guys are the bad guys? You're giving this android the power to kill. It's not all of a sudden we're all not wearing, you know, it's not all red against the blue team. You know, everyone's a camo. We all look the same. You're now giving them the opportunity to take human lives. How do you let them make that decision on their own? And, you know, what casualties are going to come from that? You know, I think all these questions with AI and especially like androids and, 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 and technology and fighting is, is, you know, where along the line it comes. You know, when we're at a point where we're having robots fighting our wars, I almost think that that's, it's, 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 an, it's an antiquated idea. And, and I'll say why I think it is with the reasoning that I'm about to provide. Um, you know, we're, we're always products of our time. And, you know, if you look back, especially at like old science fiction, you know, these, these fanciful ideas of what the future would be. And, you know, yes, we've had video phones and, you know, we've had these like wonderful technologies that they could imagine. Nobody imagined the internet, you know, and I think things take turns and things, you know, develop in such ways that I, I I wonder even if we would even hit a point where we hit androids because right like the amount of ai that's in the military already today is is astounding i mean if a drone loses connection or if something happens i mean technical issues happen you know it launches it launches a missile maybe it's not the ai itself rising up against humanity but it's still ai you know malfunctioning well, and frankly and, we don't know what the military's capabilities of AI is right now. True. I guess, it, but I guess it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all speculation, I think, until we would see it. But I think understanding what, what, what is possible now, though, is, is quite questionable because, right, I mean, if you look at, like, terrorism, you know, I mean, if you just reprogram drones to go and fly to a certain point, you know, and attack, you know, certain targets. I but, mean, but in the case of 9-11, you're going you're gonna to mow down everyone with a beer? Well, no. And I think that's where uh, electronic and, and, and like technical warfare is, is going to, is, comes into place. I mean, this is, this wars, wars are no longer fought with soldiers on the ground, but people with computers and, and electronic weapons. Or are you going to reach a pass where face scanning becomes such a a great leap forward that these targets are going to know who they are within seconds of seeing them maybe the robots fight along with our soldiers and along with your point maybe they have face recognition where they know all the soldiers in their squads and they know that they just can't shoot people until they're fired upon i would assume we would be able to probably program robots to at least respond that way yes but i mean once you get to a certain point though you think that you know eventually there's going to be people fighting for 
for the rights of these of these artificial intelligence. You know, you could say artificial humans. You're gonna say, oh, they're they're at least conscious enough to know that they're in a war. You know, obviously. Go ahead. But I, I guess the question there is, I mean, robots would only have consciousness if we give it to them and that and that's the question of where these things develop and how these things develop because you know i i mean look at nuclear weapons you know we developed a weapon that essentially put a limit on war you know we said okay like this is a little too far um and you know and i could see just with androids that being a very a very similar thing where we develop it to a certain point, it goes too far, and then, you know, we're like, maybe we shouldn't do this anymore. Do you think that AI is going to reach a point, you know, where, where Sean said previously that they try to enslave the human race? I think I mean, if they have free will, they eventually will, because they'll think that we're a parasite, because all we do is consume. We consume material, we destroy the earth, so I think they will see us as a target. And it's only going to take one, you know, extreme activist to, to, you know, if they want to make a hack to allow them to do that, then all of a sudden they can send their code out to the, the mass of other artificial humans. And then boom, you have a whole scenario where humans are no longer top of the food chain. What is free will in a robot? Is it the robot knows things to do and it is given no guidance? Or is, or is the robot self-aware? Like, does it have a conscious and does it have understanding of its actions? Maybe free will is the ability to make its own decisions without being told what to do. But is it like a preset, like if, like if, I'm, if I'm a kill bot, you know, my decisions are to take cover and to kill things is free will for me if you just turn off my command switch and then it's like just go run program and go well i think people will eventually have robots to like help them with like household chores and they would have some type of like free will it's like and you'd probably give it a name right i mean right now i have a robot that vacuums my apartment it's not a smart robot but it still has a purpose it's still like a lazy person's item that helps with like chores and everything. I think you can still now argue that, that even though this conversation seems to, to gone, you know, a little, little stray, I think it's still important to start having these conversations maybe now before it's a problem. You know, prevention could be a huge thing. I don't think it'll happen in our lifetime. If it does happen. Oh, the robots taking over. Yeah. No, oh God, no, it won't happen now. The, the, the advances in technology, and that's why I asked about free will, because free will, like, if we have robots that have these, like, consciousnesses and can, like, feel regret and empathy, like, we're, we're essentially saying, okay, like, the, the robots have become humans and then will they overthrow us? Like, yeah, but maybe if we're at that point, like, if we're developing this kind of technology, then, like, humans, I feel, have advanced. And I feel like, human cybernetics, you know, cyborgs and shit like that. I think if we're developing robots at that capacity, then we're a thousand percent modifying humans at the, at the same, if not advanced rate, because we humans are always self-centered. So it's like, as much as we want robots to like vacuum our houses and like 
do stuff, you know, we, we want to look out for number one. So I don't know if they would overthrow us. Cause I think at that point, we're going to be a couple steps ahead. So again, I think it's important that we have these conversations, even if it's something that's not going to affect us directly in our lifetime, maybe it would affect some of our future generations. And I think it's never too soon to start having conversations when it comes to, to serious matters, because it's not a, it's not about if it's going to happen. It's about when, and we need to get the ball rolling and we need to start having these discussions. Again, I would like to thank Tim and Sean for, for filling in on the show today. I thank you very, very much. Thanks if for having like, us, Mark. Yes, yeah, it, uh, it was a pleasure. So please let Brandon and I know what you think. Do you think that artificial intelligence is going to be the end of the human species as we know it? You can get in touch with us on Twitter at Off the Hinges PC. PC stands for podcast, not politically correct. We don't believe in that. But you can also join our Facebook page and our Instagram. Both of those, it's real simple. Just search Off the Hinges. And you'll find our logo, and please follow us, and you'll get our thoughts as well as you can give us yours. Okay, so please reach out to us on there. Any business inquiries, please submit to offthehingesbusiness at gmail.com. And we look forward to seeing you guys next week. Brandon will be back. And again, thank you to Sean and Tim for joining us on this week's episode. Thank you, fellow truth seekers. We will see you on the other side.